you're going to bring it up and, and just put salt on the wound? Will you stop yelling at me? No! Live in the entertainment capital of the world. No, no, you're making me nervous, but seriously. It's the T.C. Martin Show. No, listen. Uh, you're making me nervous. Diagnosis. Oh, and a foul. Prognosis. Well, that's good. Osmosis. And they'll reset. Nowitzki again for the lead. Bang. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. Glad to have you with us on a Wednesday, middle of the work week, proverbial hump day. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, VGK Frank, take your pick. Nunchuck on the other side of the glass, a lot to hit on today. We're going to talk some UNLV hoops a little bit later on with Curtis Terry, the former Rebel. Does a great job on the radio side, on the UNLV radio network. So as the Rebels get ready to go to San Jose, probably the worst basketball program in the country. Well, wait a minute. I keep forgetting about Chicago State. Can I forget about the Chicago State? And I, Since I've got a couple of Illinois clonies here, do you guys know what the Chicago State mascot is? No. <laughs> and why would you? Because they're horrible and everything, right? Yeah. The Cougars. Green and white. Cougars. N- notoriously bad every year. I'm thinking San Jose State could actually... Trump them this year for being the worst team in college basketball. Well, I mean, there's there's some pretty bad teams out there. <laughs> you know, some historically bad, and, yeah. you know, I guess Chicago State's one of those. Yeah. But there's a zillion teams in the Chicagoland area. I know. I don't even know why they... They actually talked about folding up that program a while back as well, too. And maybe they should. And, and San Jose State's going through some rough times. But anyway, UNLV uh, will travel to San Jose as they get ready for the Mountain West Conference Tournament here two weeks away from that. So we'll talk to Curtis Terry uh, regarding that. Nick Bogdanovich will join us a little bit later as well, too, from William Hill. Talk about the college and the NBA docket tonight as well. And uh, maybe even still recap some of those those finite numbers that came in from the Super Bowl as well, too. So a lot to do, a lot to cover on the program today. And uh, first, wanted to start the show. And we'll talk, of course, Golden Knights, too. And what a heartbreaking Lost that was last night, and we'll we'll dive into that the way the Golden Knights lost uh, three to two to the Colorado Avalanche. Want to start the show off uh, talking about the uh, news today? Las Vegas Aces officially have their new owner, Mark Davis. As uh, today it became official, as Mark Davis and the Aces held a press conference virtually, of course, and that press conference just concluding now. I got to get on the. Uh, the beginning of that today before heading into the show. And uh, we may have Mark Davis uh, on the program, but uh, well, we will talk about this today and, and start off the program talking about the Aces having a new owner. This is much different than having the MGM, which brought them over basically from, from San Antonio. And we talked about this on the show yesterday with Las Vegas Aces guard uh, Kelsey Plum. There is just this renewed, and I don't want to say renewed because that's the wrong word, the enthusiasm that is taking place with this franchise. And since they moved from San Antonio where they were in the doldrums, they were one of the, the worst WNBA teams for years and years and years. But when they came here three years ago and they hired Bill Lambeer to be the president of basketball operations and the head coach, 
you know that he was going to to make things happen. And they made a great splash here when the MGM purchased the team, playing the games at the Mandalay Bay. And they did a really good job of marketing the team throughout all of the MGM properties. You would see signage and uh, they would do ticket giveaways with employees with all the MGM properties. And, uh, again, they were one of the leading um, leading attendance teams in, in all the WNBA the last couple of years. Unfortunately, you know, with the pandemic hitting, they could not have home games and they had to play in the bubble. It's too bad because the Aces had such a very good season last year going to the WNBA finals uh, where they lost. But so much hype, so much enthusiasm. And then now with Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, saying, hey, that uh, he has purchased this team, it just uh, is creating a lot more of um, enthusiasm, not only around the WNBA and this team, but through the city of Las Vegas as well today. So press conference went uh, today with Mark Davis. Uh, A lot of people uh, were involved in this. Again, it was done virtually. I enjoyed it, and um, we will uh, we will talk about this today. So um, this is a thing that is going to be big in the sense that Mark Davis is building a 50,000-square-foot facility adjacent to the Raiders facility on Raiders Way. So this is going to be huge because what he said was that he bought this team because he wanted – the Aces to basically have a home. He felt sorry for them because playing at Mandalay Bay, they have one year remaining on that contract. They're going to renegotiate that. And Mandalay Bay spent over $10 million in renovating that facility for major fights, but specifically for the Aces. They gave them locker rooms, gave them offices, all that sort of thing. But the problem was that they got booted out of there so many times. And if you go back to you know, two years ago when they made the playoffs and they had to play the Chicago Sky in the one-and-done game, they had to move that game to the Thomas and Mack Center because there was a three-night concert at Mandalay Bay. And, of course, the Mandalay Bay and the MGM properties are always going to say, hey, we're going to take money over that, you know, taking the big concerts, taking the convention that, that come through the Mandalay Bay and that sort of thing. So Mark Davis said, you know, I was kind of tired of seeing these guys having to practice they couldn't even practice at the Thomas and Mack. They couldn't practice at the, at the Cox Pavilion. Most of the practices in all of training camp last year was taking place down below where, where the women you know, practice. And, and the guys that sometimes have to be relegated to practice. There were times where they had to, to practice in an airport hangar because the Mandalay Bay or UNLV was not available. So he basically said, you know, I want these guys to have a home. They got such a good team, such a great coach, such a great president. Let's let's run with this thing. And I asked him the question today, said, is this more of your love of the game, love of this team, love of the city, or you know, how much of this is a business decision? And he said, well, if it's a business decision, it's not a very good one. And we know that, that none of these teams are really making money, but they do have the ability to make money. And I think if there's a team that can make money, it is going to be the Las Vegas Aces. It's going to be because of what Mark Davis brings to it. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you, you certainly hope that, you know, I mean, when you're making a, an investment like that, that you're thinking that things are going to grow, that you're going to get a better TV deal, that ratings are going to go up, you know, that, uh, you know, the the WNBA, you know, while it's never going to be the NBA, that it's going to become more popular and there'll be more revenue out there. So you do want nice facilities in that. It sounds like Mark Davis basically looked at the team and went, you know what, this is a major league professional franchise and they're getting treated like a, you know, a community college program or something like that, you know, relegated to, uh, no, you're going here, you're going there. They're throwing all over the place. There's no, uh, no symmetry or anything that n- nothing that can, can really get them into the routines and that we know that a lot of professional athletes, one of the reasons they're successful is because they get in a routine. They know where they go to practice every day. They know where they, they eat at the same place. They do this, that, and the other, and these girls have been going all over the place not knowing exactly what to expect. So I think it's just something about getting that that structure and that professionalism in it. And, you know, maybe that'll happen uh, now with this. And, you know, maybe that'll all happen. But the other thing that's going to have to happen if it's going to become a good business investment is he can't count on just Vegas being successful. He needs the other teams to step up their game as well and make everybody want to watch this league on a more consistent basis. Yeah. And again, you know, with the improved television contract and the CBA, like I said, it did, the the finals did get great. You know, all the playoffs got good ratings last year. And being in the summertime on ABC and ESPN and having those partners, yes, the league has begun to thrive over, over the last few years. And the quality of play is has been fantastic. That's improved dramatically over the last, you know, 20-plus years. But, you know, when the Aces came to Vegas and MGM said, okay, we've got this, and no disrespect against MGM, but they just didn't have sports people in place to, to properly do this. And it was always a little bit of a struggle. But when the MGM was owning, people were thinking, hey, this is great, it's fantastic, but they would still always be second or maybe even third fiddle to, like I said, the conventions, the concerts, the other sporting events, and they would get bumped here. And I don't think a lot of people really thought about that, or that could actually happen. So it was a little bit frustrating you know, for the Aces to have to go through this. And now they will know that they don't have to deal with that anymore. Well, and one of the things, too, when you think about MGM and you think about sports, you don't think about a structured team with, all right, this is they play these game nights, they have these practices, they have this, that, and the other. The MGM has always been an event type right. of sporting thing. Mm-hmm. Here's the big boxing match coming up. We're keeping the place open for this UFC card, for things like that. And remember, Mandalay Bay used to be one of the places. Mandalay Bay or MGM was the only place. Now we have T-Mobile. So they have a lot more a lot more places where they can put things. But, yeah, I mean, some of the biggest UFC fights in the history of the company took place at the Mandalay Bay. Right. And like you mentioned, too, you know, uh, you know, the boxing and other things like that. But it was more of an event thing, not a team-oriented, structured things where, well, we need these 12 dates or 20 dates right. or whatever, however the season is long in that. And, you know, and, and you have to block them all out. Like you said, when you're booking concerts, well, this band's coming around. Well, they can only come to Vegas on this dates here. Well, hey, you know what? We have something going on at this venue. We have something. We have the Mandalay Bay open. Well, like it, it, it's a money business right. world. And if they are going to have a concert here and the only venue open that they want is Mandalay Bay, then they're going to relegate the Aces. Fair or not fair, but that's one of the things. They're an event corporation, not a team-oriented, structured, season-long investment on a general basis. So, And it looks like that is going to change, and it certainly needs to change for them to have the success and be treated the way that they should be. All right. And it all started with Mark Davis you know, coming to the games. We always talk about that. 
you know, being a season ticket holder, sitting in the front row, sitting next to Bill Hornbuckle, uh, you know, the the big wig at the MGM, and and Hornbuckle said to him, you know, you really really like this, don't you? And he goes, oh man, I, I love it. And we knew his, his love for Vegas and the game and and the league itself. And he goes, well, if you love it so much, why don't you buy it from me? And I think Mark Davis laughed about it and said, well, really? I didn't know they were for sale. And that's how that conversation started. And here we are today making it official that uh, Mark Davis owns the Las Vegas Aces. Let's bring in Heidi Fang from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Heidi, uh, along with myself, was part of that uh, press conference virtually uh, today. Heidi, what's going on, girl? Oh, not much, man. You know, shaking bacon. How you doing? I know, I know. You're working. You're trying to hit some deadlines. I appreciate you spending some time today. So I know you heard uh, what Frank and I were talking about. You heard the press conference with Mark Davis today. You were involved with that as well. So give me some thoughts on, on uh, what you heard from Mark and what you heard us talking about. Well, I like that he talked about the synergy of these teams coming together, the Raiders, the Aces, and what he has in mind with the Al Davis, Eddie Robinson Fund, how that may help out uh, each the aces grow and different people levels of diversity grow um, to become I guess more invested in sports and having voices in that that's what he plans to do with Al Davis and Eddie Robinson fun and you know I think his love of basketball it all started with his father and going to games with him and being able to see these girls play has been something that we've seen Mark Davis take a delight in doing since, you know, he's even before he moved the team, when they were just starting phases out here to come to Las Vegas, he was at almost like, I would say every game he could physically be at, he was at. And, you know, it was one of those things that you knew he had the love for it, the passion for it, but now he can apply that, like you guys were talking about before I came on, to helping them develop and have their own home. And somebody had McCall had asked, about whether or not they would keep them at the Mandalay Bay Event Center or if they would build them their own home. I think that's something maybe long-term down the road. Once, you know, the whole Raiders, Allegiant Stadium thing gets settled out, maybe that's something they look to do. But, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of future for the Aces here in Las Vegas. And just after, uh, you know, being in the finals not too far back here, it's something that this team we know has the potential of being a championship team and it's going to be huge once he starts putting his vision and applying it to the roster that's in place and the people that are in place with this team you know we had kelsey plum on yesterday and she was one of those ones that that played in san antonio along with kayla mcbride and unfortunately kayla uh, left here this past uh, you know week, and now she's a member of the Minnesota Lynx. But for players like that who were you know drafted basically by the San Antonio Silver Stars, people forget that's where they came from. To go from there, where those games were hot, not even really attended, they were the bottom tier, and then all of a sudden they get news: Hey, we're relocating to Las Vegas. Oh, now we got Bill Lambeer as our head coach and our president. Oh, we're purchased by the MGM, and now we're playing at the Mandalay Bay Event Center, and then now. It, it just continues to grow. The Raiders come to town. The Golden Knights are already here. And then the owner of the Raiders purchases the Las Vegas Aces. So for a player like Kelsey Plum and some of these others that have been around the Aces for some time, to see where this organization has come in less than four years is pretty mind-boggling. And again, for any player that is on this team to think about, hey, I'm in really kind of the entertainment capital of the world. I have all this great stuff, and now we're owned by the Raiders? Uh, not really by the Raiders, but by the Raiders' owner. It is pretty mind-boggling on how far this thing has come. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, he spoke with uh, Asia Wilson, I know, at a Chargers game not too far back uh, with the Raiders. He had her up in a box seat, and this was on the away games because he did not attend any of the home games. So uh, I remember seeing them and thinking, oh, what did they discuss? What did they talk about? You know, I knew he liked the Aces, but, you know, the reporter in you has always got the wheels cranking. But it was good to hear that he shared his visions with her about how he intends to build this team, about the diversity that he uh, already has in mind and keeping – uh, and growing and developing and putting women more on the forefront uh, in this town as far as how much, I guess, visibility that they would get uh, before the games, promotion-wise. Think of all the things that he can do for this team. I think this is a great opportunity for women, for diversity, for all of that to be on the forefront in the, in the billboards and the glittering lights of Las Vegas. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Mark does automatically out of the gate when this season starts, how these girls um, might get better publicity and promotion and that sort of thing. I mean, the MGM, don't get me wrong, they did a very good job at, at the start, but I feel like it fizzled after the first season that they were here. So I, I want to see more. I want to see more. I want to see, uh, you know, on the Mandalay Bay marquee. I want to see it all the time. You drive by, maybe you see it once every 15 minutes, but I want to see it every five. Right. Good. good. <laughs> Heidi Fang joins us from the Las Vegas Review and Journal talking about uh, the official announcement today, Mark Davis, owner of the Las Vegas Aces. You know, Heidi, TC brought up something there when he was saying how they were kind of one of the, you know, the lower-tier teams and organizations when they were the Silver Stars. Now they're part of the Silver and Black family, so that's certainly a big addition there. How much does that mean to not only the Aces but also to the WNBA in general that now they are one of their teams is owned by an owner of an NFL franchise as well. Does that lend even more legitimacy and will that help down the road potentially in getting other teams maybe some new ownership, new sponsorship and for TV deals and everything else down the road? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that when you start looking at what he already said in this press conference, he discussed how he wants to pay them more. And that was part of how this all got started. He was sitting and, and talking out there to Murin and the MGM and, uh, who's now no longer with the MGM, but initially that's how it started out. He was saying, hey, I think these girls need to get paid double for their effort and what they're doing. And maybe if he can do that, if he can actually do what he says he wants to do and pay them what he thinks that they're valued at, then that can start a lot in the terms of free agency, in terms of how people are brought in, recruited, how much you have scouts going out to check out new talent. I think there's a lot of variety and things that can happen once you start actually building upon what his vision is in getting these women what they deserve as far as pay. I remember a story not too far back where, you know, they had no plane to take them someplace that they were supposed to go. And they were, you know, there's no charter for these girls. There's no one to go pick them up and take them. They had to do um, a bunch of crazy things, I think, to get back home to Las Vegas after, uh, I can't remember what had happened. Well, they had to spend something. the night in the Dallas airport is, is what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, something I know won't happen to them under Mark Davis's uh, ownership. All right. Heidi, you've spent a lot of time at the Raiders facility there in Henderson, a beautiful spot. And this is where the Aces facility is going to be right there on Raiders way. Uh, Mark said 80,000 
a square foot building today. The reports were there was gonna, it was going to be around 50000 but whatever it is, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, talk a little bit about what you've seen with the Raiders facility and just kind of envision on what you think that the ACES facility could be like. <laughs> well, okay, they've got 80,000 square feet to build on from what he said and all expected to be done by March uh, 2020. Uh, 22. So I think that when you start looking at what the Raiders side is of that already, it's breathtaking from just the small portion that I've seen. You know, they've got three fields out there outdoors, and then they've got the indoor field. They have what looks like to be a nutrition center of their own, and there's so much more that we haven't been able to see because of the pandemic. So, uh, But what I have been able to see, it's very state-of-the-art, and the media room alone is uh, much improved from what the previous one was um, that they had in Oakland. I spent time in both, so I can compare um, but, yeah, it looks like the weight room is quite an upgrade as well. I, I didn't get to see it, but for a glimpse once when I had to walk through the hallway <laughs> to get to the outdoor field, but I saw a glimpse, and the glimpse was enough to go, wow, I can't wait to check that out, you know? <laughs> so it's definitely they had money well spent, and same with the Allegiant Stadium and how much better it is from what they had over in Oakland, and this is what the team, I think, really wanted and needed to help build this culture here in Las Vegas is to say we finally have a home that's our own. It's something we're taking ownership over as a player, something to have pride in. Um, I saw Derek Carr on Twitter joking uh, with Jalen Richard about not stepping on the shield or they do 25 push-ups, and that's just based off the logo that's in the locker room floor. So, you know, they're, they're all taking pride in it. They're taking ownership over what they have now, and that's a big deal, I think, for a lot of the players and for the aces. It's going to mean so much more to have a central home for them so that they're not going between different MGM facilities or, or places and areas where they didn't necessarily have their own place to practice. They're practicing over the Thomas and Mac. So I think this is going to be a huge leap for them. They're all going to have such a sense of pride once they see it and once it's all done. And just it'll be, I'm sure, like, like just on the cutting edge of technology and all once it's done. So, Heidi, is there a friendly little rivalry developing out here locally between Henderson and Summerlin and that for what the mecca of the uh, uh, the sports world is? Because, you know, the we had the Aviators and the Golden Knights facility there with City National. Now, all of a sudden, Henderson has the Silver Knights, and now they have the Aces and the Raiders and that. And it's kind of like, well, wait a second, not so fast, Summerlin. You know, uh, we're down here, too. And, you know, years ago, they were talking about trying to get a bunch of minor league baseball facilities down there. So, Henderson seems like they're pretty aggressive that they want to be known as a sports place as well, maybe the sports place with the NFL, hockey, and now the Aces. I think in three years we're going to see a completely different Henderson than anyone ever imagined. It's going to be like the sports hub. I really think it is. I mean, yes, Summerlin, uh, they have the Knights practice facility over there, and they have the ballpark over there. So that is very, very nice as well. But when you have, I think, WNBA and NFL on the other side, yeah, I think, you know, those are bigger juggernauts when you think of the terms in sports uh, as far as, who might have more pool with the fan base. So and I they have the Silver Knights be... team and the practice facility. Right, right. Yeah. 
But yeah, so there's going to be a duel. I think the the uh, the Henderson side would win. <laughs> so, but you know, Frank, you bring it up it, it, like from a sports side, but really, it's been this way from a human side as well too. There are people that you know live in Summerlin, people live in Henderson, and there is this this back and forth. I go through it myself as well. It's like, oh, I don't want to come out to Henderson; it's too far away. This Henderson, come we on, got let, better restaurants over here than you do over there. Let's so be honest; it's, that they it's call it Hendertucky. People, no, there's people in Vegas that call it Hendertucky. Yes, old, there is. I know, but that's old, old school. And like Heidi said, you know. I heard it yesterday. It's not but, that old but, school. But listen, but you and I, I mean, we go back, I mean, to, to the 90s stuff. Like, that. all we knew was Henderson was like Water Street and all that. And it was like, oh, you know, forget that. I mean, all that stuff, Green Valley and all that, that was never even out there, at, at, you know, going way back when. So there was always this rivalry with Summerlin and Henderson over the last, I don't know, what, uh, 10, 15 years, wouldn't you say, though? It's not just sports. I think it's just it's community driven as well people love to argue about oh, for this. sure yeah who's got the better restaurants yeah. who's got the better shopping who's got the less traffic who's got the better homes when people buy here what do they always say oh summerlin or henderson you know so it seems that way i don't know fun stuff heidi uh before we let you go we have always got to get a ufc take don't you 258 we talked about it on monday uh you want to give us a a, a quick thought of uh, what you saw with usman yeah, he's a beast, man, and he's right up there now with some of the legends with the amount of streaks and wins that he has with the UFC. Uh, I think that he's going to be holding on to that belt for a long time, and he's starting to really diversify his skill set and what we see. You look at what he was able to do. He got this done with his hands. I mean, he, everybody knows that he's going to wrestle you, that he's good at grappling, but when you see him finish a fight, KOTKO style, that 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 is just putting him up on another level now, and you know that this guy is never going to say that he's a master of his sport. He's going to always say that he's a student of the game. So I think that he's somebody that, as you look at him, is going to continue to improve as he goes, even though he's already at the top. But to stay there, you got to stay hungry, right? Uh, master of his domain, would you say that? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Are you a master of your domain, Heidi Fang? <laughs> you guys are the best. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I am. You know this. Uh, okay, we'll let you get back to work. You know, there he is. I don't know. You're talking about Usman's hands. I don't know about your hands or your chin or what. You keep hitting the buttons on your phone, or is that your dog? What's going on over there? Me? Yeah. Yeah, I don't is think it's... I think so. I don't think it's Numbchuck today. Usually, or was it you, Numbchuck? It wasn't Numbchuck. No, his oh. hands were... Yeah. It was on... Oh, it's, Frank and I don't have any phones in front of us, so it's, it's definitely you. Yeah, I wish I had like a sound effect panel on my phone lit up right now. I'd be like, ah, there, there it is again. <laughs> Did we just hear it again? That's her, right? See, it's you. You don't even know what's going on there. I don't know what's going on. Oh. So, somebody from Summerlin is trying. When I laugh, I'm hitting something that yeah. I'm not aware of. So, somebody I need from... to listen to the playback. That's it. Somebody from Summerlin is trying to uh, ghost your phone or something like that to make it sound worse. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> All right, Heidi, we'll let you go. Uh, we'll look forward uh, to your to your coverage uh, with, with the Aces and everything else you got going on as well, too. So uh, good stuff. We'll talk to you real soon. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Absolute. Later. Gator. She, she, she said staying hungry just for you because you're constantly hungry, posting your food pictures oh, all man. over the place. And that, so. Especially today being Ash Wednesday, I'm so hungry because yeah. I'm trying to be the good Catholic and, and again, fast today. And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm fasting. Can you tell? I'm hungry. I'm starving right now. 
But, but Lent is forty what? days. You're not gonna you're not gonna fast for forty days. No, but you do it on <laughs> Ash Wednesday, and then you do it on Fridays. So there you go. So today's Ash Wednesday. What are you hitting the buzzer for? Now that wasn't Heidi. Vine. What? Now, now do you? Now do you? Now do you fast on Fridays or do? Because it used to just yeah. be I thought you couldn't eat meat on Fridays. That's true. It depends on which direction that that you want to take it. But technically, you're supposed to. When they say fasting, you can have two very small meals and no meat on Friday. So, right. but and it, it used to be originally there was the no meat for the whole forty days, and then people well people aren't going to do that. <laughs> yeah, so right. let's just make it Fridays. Yeah, make it Fridays <laughs> exactly. And then a lot of people will do it on Wednesdays as well because of Ash Wednesday. Then you know some a lot of devout Catholics will go ahead and do Wednesday and Friday. But again, kind of to each his own. So instead of thank God it's Friday during Lent, is it oh God it's Friday? <laughs> 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 I'm not going. I'm not. Great soundtrack. I'm just asking. Great soundtrack, though. I'm Thank asking. God it's Friday. Yeah. Are you asking? Because I, 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 I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I had friends that were Catholic in that, but yeah. I remember one of them years ago in the restaurant I used to work no, at. No, because if you're going to partake in it, you don't say that. I mean, maybe deep down inside, it's like, well, I mean, I'm that way. I, you know what a eater I am, especially of meat. I'm a meat and potatoes guy, and again, Love my Mexican, love my Italian, but I always have to have the meat in it. And I do. I get well, there's headaches. A, there's a lot of meat in Italian and Mexican food, too. That's my point, <laughs> is that, again, I like that, but I like, you know, I'm a shredded beef guy, I'm a steak guy, and I like to have all that. So you're not but, the impossible burger. You're no, the, don't get me going with that. Yeah, don't get, yeah. Get you're quick. the, if it ain't mood, it ain't worth chewing. Thank you very much. <laughs> no question about that. But my point is, is, yeah, I do tend to get headaches. When I don't eat, have meat in my diet, and I and I get this on Fridays, you know, and uh, yeah. I, so are you going to go meatless on Fridays now for the rest of Lent? Yeah, that's what I do. I do. I do on Friday. So if Double do. B says let's go up to the Blue Ribbon, you're going to say it can't. I will say if you guys want to enjoy, <laughs> I will go ahead and partake in the tomato soup at Blue Ribbon, which is fantastic. I will load up on the bread. And, and get a sushi plate. <laughs> yeah, I'm not much for that, but I, I will say that is that is pretty good. Even though I will take a taste test, but yeah, I, I refrain from meat on, on on Friday. Can you do the chicken wings? That's meat too. That no, doesn't count either. Doesn't huh? count. Ch- chicken's no good. Exactly. But what I'll do is I just I'll try to postpone that to to a Saturday. That's what I'll do. Oh, when, when, when <laughs> not Chuck and I are not part for of you it. guys, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Hey, hey double, I said I hey, would go with you guys. Hey, Double B, screw Frank and Numbchuck. Let's do it tomorrow. If you remi- remember, you know, I we'll, did. We'll go to Click. We'll watch a little UFC or something like that, and then we'll have a nice meal. I Those invited you guys. Hey, if you remember, I did invite <laughs> you guys in the one Friday when I had to go out of town. I said, hey, if you guys want to you know, like do it on Saturday or something like that, the next time, we'll do that. And you guys, eh, like that. And Numbchuck came up with something. He had to go somewhere else or do something else. He went to some other restaurant. But yes. Okay, so what you're saying, it, it's time for another Cosmopolitan meal. Right? I'm merely posing the question. <laughs> I'm merely posing the question. Because 40 days is a long time. Yeah. No, exactly. So it's, that's why it's, it's Fridays. You do that on Fridays. But, yeah, I abstain from meat on, on Fridays. So I try. I try. I try to be good. Sometimes there's that temptation, my friend, but I'm just saying. You ever find yourself eating a steak or something like that, and then somebody says, what are you doing? It's Friday because you kind of forgot the day? Yeah, yeah, that's happened before. That's happened before. Because I, the restaurant Absolutely. I used to work at, a friend of mine, he asked me, I was making a hamburger, and he's like, wow, that looks really good. And so I made him one, too, and he takes a bite of him, and his mom was like, Scott, you're eating meat, and it's Friday. And he was like, he spit it, he's like, oh, my God, I'm going to hell. And he looked at me like I was the devil, and I had I was sending him to hell. I'm like, Dude, I didn't even think of it as being Friday. Yeah. We're working. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. It happens. It does. All right. We come back. Nick Bogdanovich joins us, and we'll talk a little Vegas Golden Knights uh, as well. Glad to have you with us on a Wednesday. The T.C. Martin Show is back. Yes! Yes! What are you doing? It's just a half time. Yes, this is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes! In the face! The doctor is now in. 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 All right, if you don't have the William Hill mobile app, you're probably one of the rare few that don't have it. But if you don't have it, go get it. And now's a great time to get it because you can still do the promo TC50 for $53 in a brand new account. When you deposit $50 in your account, they'll match it with an additional $50. It all starts by downloading the app on your phone. So easy to use. So get the William Hill mobile app and go over to any of the great William Hill Sportsbook properties throughout the town. Throughout the state, really. That's it. Take your pick. Deposit $50. Match it. Use the promo code TC50. And use the William Hill mobile app. So easy to use. Even you can use it late night, early morning, like Ballpark Frank does. Betting the Australian Open. Do we have in-game wagering with in, in the Australian Open at 4 o'clock in the morning? Ended at 5 o'clock with Sitsipas beating Nadal last night. And uh, the, the, the night before, there was a long match as well. So, yeah, I'm sure there probably is, you know. About uh, when when Zverev lost to Djokovic, so I've been up to like five five thirty the last couple of nights. And boy, I'll tell you what: if there was in game wagering last night, and you put Sitsipas, I'm sure that he was a huge dog when he was down two sets to none. Then he comes back and he shocks Rafa and knocks him out of the Australian Open. Look at that! And that actually would be in match wagering if we're going to be yes. correct, right? Oh yes, exactly. All right, the guy who has all the answers to this is Nick Bogdanovich from William Hill. What's up, Nick? Nick, that's your cue. What's going on, buddy? Hey, guys, how you doing? We're good. We're doing good. So can you answer that question? Is there in-match wagering on the Australian Open and all tennis events? Yes, there is. Uh, tennis is huge in play. It's a great sport to bet in play, too, because uh, no dramatic quick six-zip runs in, like in the <laughs> NBA or something. So, you know, there takes a little time in between points. So it's, re- it's really good, uh, a good sport for in play. And, of course, you have Osaka and Serena tonight, so that should be a fun match. That could have a lot of twists and turns as well. So there's been a lot of up-and-down matches in this particular Australian Open here. So, uh, you know, I'm sure that it's uh, kind of interesting. It's it, it, You know, it, it kind of makes me wonder if, like, maybe that will get people excited this year for the U.S. Open. And that, of course, when it's on, the, I'm sure that there's more in-game, more in-match wagering on the U.S. Open than there is down under because the matches are so late at night in general. Well, more action, but still the the name the same amount booked. Uh, yeah, I mean this Osaka Serena match is about as good as it gets. We opened forty, we're up to Osaka sixty five. So we'll see if uh, the youngster can beat the oldster. But it, it should be a heck of a match. And like you mentioned earlier, Nadal Nadal can never lose down up two nothing, but yet Tsitsipas shocked the world. So uh, good stuff. I, I'm looking forward to the Joker being in the final. We can see if he can draw a linesman again. <laughs> exactly. Something, right? Well, there are no linesmen anymore. That's right. No linesmen at oh, this Australian Open. Yeah. Well, no, it's not just COVID. They have a new system now where the computer, instead of just calling serves, they call all the lines. So they said that pretty much all the majors from now on, there will be no more lines people. But he could still drill a ball, a ball kid. There you go. We'll give him. We'll give him a target. <laughs> I mean, he destroyed a racket the other day. I mean, you know, he actually he, did damage to the court. Yeah, he, he, he smashed his racket so much, and then that actually focused him. Then he got his game back, and then Zavera does what Sasha Zavera always does. 
He choked and he played not to lose, and that's why he has never won a major. The one that he had a chance to win against Dominic Team at the U.S. Open when Djokovic did hit the Lions person in the throat. That's why Team came back to win that. Zverev has all the talent in the world, but he can't get it done in the big ones. He gets up. He plays not to lose. You can't play those matches not to lose. You have to play to win. And Nick, you're probably old enough where you know you remember guys like Ely Nastasi and of course you know Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe. They would have uh, fits, but uh, those guys back in the day, I mean, that was kind of a regular thing, which was great TV viewing. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, that that was my era. I hate to show how old I am. I know but, all uh, of us. <laughs> very, very. I'm on a, I'm on a first name basis with Ely Nastasi. That's how old I am. <laughs> but yeah, and I love tennis. It's a great sport. Uh, you know, I think worldwide it's the second biggest betting sport out, out there next to soccer. So, I mean, it's uh, it's the real deal. And, you know, there's usually on uh, non-major weeks, there's three or four tournaments going on all over the world. So uh, I'm a big tennis fan. So let me ask you, Nick, how does that compare to here in the state, specifically here in Vegas? Do people bet tennis? I mean, or is it just one of these things like, uh, we hardly get any action? Where's the percentage on this? Yeah, no, tennis, uh, Tennis, we do very well. The handle is excellent, especially on the majors. So Open, Wimbledon, Australia is a little different because of the time The time factor hurts us a little there. But, no, uh, the handle has been great on this tournament. How does it compare to golf in general? And let's throw NASCAR in there as well. Well, it's just difficult. Uh, I think where tennis has its strength is there's so many matches. It's sort of like college basketball. It, you, you, an individual amount on a game won't wow you, but if you add up all the matches during the tournament, it adds up to a pretty sum. So they do it with volume uh, instead of mass betting like in the NFL. When it comes to betting those tennis matches and that, do you ever have a situation where you're kind of rooting against somebody like you do in the NFL on that? Like, does everybody pile in on the favorite, or do they try to take the shots on, on lesser-known people? Like, what I would imagine with Jennifer Brady and Muhova in, in the other semifinal that uh, they were both pretty long shots going into this tournament. Obviously, Serena and Osaka were the two favorites, but uh, are, are you better off if, if one of the underdogs comes up and wins the whole thing, or is it uh, not that much action that uh, even if Serena or Osaka wins you're still fine yeah we'll get some six-figure liabilities on these matches uh well you get 10 you know it's like most other sports you'll see just a ton of uh parlay uh, money on the favorites so if you get a string of uh favorites come in you get whacked around a little bit but no 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 there's no question uh the decisions are big enough to get our attention there is nick bogdanovich director of racing sports at william hill all right nick so we've uh, had some time to complete everything with uh, the NFL and the Super Bowl and that sort of thing. We talked last week about the, the record numbers. Well, not the record numbers, but still the numbers were pretty good. So in, in looking back at that in, in the retrospect, we saw a lot of the numbers from different states uh, you know, really go, go crazy. It was really kind of their first or second go around when it came to that. But here in Nevada, I believe what the number was still 136 million that was wagered on the Super Bowl. Uh, give us some uh, post Super Bowl thoughts on that. I was very happy with the Super Bowl numbers. Uh, we knew it was going to probably be down because of COVID. It just, you know, people weren't coming to town and it's a huge party destination. So not a shock, but we were so busy that Saturday and Sunday. Uh, the prop action was handled, was was great. The game was great. So I still call it a, uh, a successful event. Uh, but yeah, no, handle was still strong. It just you know, 
you just can't factor in that many people not coming to town and 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 you know 138 was or four or whatever it was it was very respectable for for the amount of people that didn't show up so I know normally you know people will immediately start looking at the future odds for next year and putting money down because of covid the pandemic and then maybe some uncertainty with you know whether certain players are going to come back with their teams. We mentioned Drew Brees, you know, with the Saints, and and you know, even though Brady says he's going to come back, still don't know what that team's going to look like. Were there people still firing big money uh, on on futures numbers immediately after the week or so after the Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, the people who need to bet the futures are the ones who are in town visiting, cashing, and then leaving town with a ticket and their thing. Obviously, the people who live here can get it any time they want. And now so many states have future, you know, sports betting. They, uh, you know, it cuts down on a lot of people having to get a ticket when they leave town knowing they aren't coming back because they're either in a state that has betting or it's near a state. So if you want to bet a Super Bowl future, and if you're ever going to wait this, you know, unless you've got a crystal ball, this might be the year with the quarterback carousel that's going to go on. Uh, you're going to see some dramatic changes in future lines uh, just depending on if Rodgers decides to bolt or Deshaun Watson, et cetera, et cetera. So it's going to be an interesting offseason for sure. You mentioned that you were happy with the Super Bowl numbers, although they were down, and that's not a big surprise with the pandemic and that. With the fact that it, things, it looks like things are starting to open up a little bit, 35%, then maybe 50 with March Madness right around the corner, with the big race coming out here to Vegas, how important is that to you that things are starting to open up a little bit at what looks like a pretty good time, a pretty big time for the uh, sports books with all these events right around the corner? Yeah, I mean, that would be a great help. Obviously, the big two are Super Bowl and March Madness. Uh, those are the monster, monster weeks. So... I'd love to see some more people in town for March Madness. It's my favorite event. And the race here in Vegas is always a good one as well. Uh, obviously not the numbers the other two, but still very important. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting. Uh, who knows, maybe we'll get a few people in the seats for conference tournaments as well. Yeah, we can hope that. All right, Nick, let's talk a little college uh, basketball. Conference tournaments are right around the corner. And uh, obviously college basketball, along with the NBA, kind of reigns, reigns supreme right now. Let's uh, take a look at a couple matchups uh, here tonight. Uh, can you give us a couple matchups that you've uh, seen some sharp money on? Uh, the Butler Marquette game's up next, three thirty. Uh, we opened two uh, up to two and a half. Now the Sharps have taken plus two and a half with Marquette back to two. So two way action on that game. Same exact thing with Richard Virginia Commonwealth. Uh, we opened that one. Uh, to uh, Sharps lay VCUs up to two and a half. Not been taken back yet, but the game's in the similar price range. Uh, Kentucky Vandy, there's an interesting game. It's rare. I don't know when the last time Kentucky was only three and a half over Vanderbilt, maybe in the, the Lincoln administration, but uh, <laughs> it sure looks short, but that's how down Kentucky is, and Vandy's been a little scrappy lately. Right. And, you know, Kentucky. Has played a little bit better as of late, but still, man, this team is, is struggling just as much as Duke. And you and, and that, you can make that same argument. Duke's only six and a half over Wake Forest, but this Duke team has struggled, and now we get word that their best player is, is opting out right here, I mean, in the middle of the season or towards the end of the season. And it just is strange. I mean, we've never seen anybody say, well, okay, I'm going to quit right now. I'm going to get ready for this year's NBA draft. 
Yeah, you're right. And not to change subject, but we just took a $10,000 bet on Djokovic to win the tournament minus 150. So we talked about tennis. I, I just wanted to show you that there are people out there who are interested in betting. Well, it was Frank. Uh, yeah, he, John, got a, he got on the mobile app right there. It was him who did it. I just saw you, Frank. It's very possible. <laughs> you guys were trying to distract me on the radio. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, if, if I had that much, I'd probably be taking the show off today. But uh, so, 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 so now are you rooting, rooting for a Sitsipas or Medvedev to take him out? <laughs> That me let me look how we, let me let me bring that up and see how we're sitting with the futures. Uh, <laughs> and we're back to tennis yeah. again, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. Yeah, no, Met, Met, but, but yeah, the two dogs there are good. I mean, Djokovic's okay, but the other two are really good. Uh, but yeah, Johnson. I mean, Duke's been a mess all year. You know, Coach yeah. K, I think, started the narrative early on, saying maybe we shouldn't be playing during COVID, and that's probably in Johnson's mind, saying, well, we ain't going anywhere, and he th- didn't think we should be playing, so maybe I'll just play the safe route and go and you know go out of the NBA. I, I don't know. You just it, it's not good. I think everyone should try to muscle through it, but you know, I'll I'll, I'll root the kid. I hope the kid has a good NBA career. All right. All right. Uh when you look at the college basketball uh so far, you know, we saw Michigan off for the past 2 weeks and uh they played their Losing to Wisconsin basically the entire game, and they came back in the last four minutes on Sunday. This Michigan team looks pretty solid. We know we've got Gonzaga, we've got Baylor, but aside from those big two, who are you looking at that uh, could draw some uh, future action here and could be a potential uh, NCAA tournament winner? That's a good question. I mean, obviously, uh, everyone has thought those two have separated themselves from the pack, and, and they may have. I mean, but I still think there's plenty of teams that can get hot at the right time and beat them. I mean, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, Villanova on their good day, Iowa on their good day. I think all those teams, Florida State, you know, I think all those teams uh, can hang with those two. Uh, it, 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 the beauty thing about NCAA tournament is it's not three out of five or four out of seven. So uh, one bad game and you go home. And let's face it, I mean, it's between COVID injuries and 19-year-old kids, anything can happen. Yeah, just ask Virginia about that, right? Yeah, exactly. They they, they did what it, it, no one I thought would happen in my lifetime. Uh, a 16 would be to one, so uh, it can happen. Unbelievable. You know, going back to Baylor for a second, you know, this team has been off for nearly two weeks uh, again. Uh, do you think that they come back with, with maybe not as sharp? And, again, they were on such a roll before they got shut down. You just wonder, again, like you said, Nick, 19-year-old kids, 18, 19-year-old kids, you're just not sure exactly how they're going to respond. And then now, you know, it's it's crunch time for the tournament. But uh, you just wonder, do you think this team could lose a little luster? I don't think so. I like Baylor's team, their makeup. Uh, not a young team. Not a, I mean, well-coached. Been there the last few years, so I think Baylor will be all right as long as they get in. You know, the rest of their games and game or two in the Big Twelve tourney, they'll be fine. Uh, they'll, in fact, I like them a little better than Gonzaga to win it. You know, we were speaking with Bill Cartwright uh, last week, and he mentioned that there's some talk about maybe Gonzaga and Baylor or some teams skipping their conference tournaments because they already know where they're going to be. You know, they're going to get the invite, probably get number one seeds in that, and they don't want to risk COVID or injuries or whatever else out that. How much would that affect you guys, and how much would that upset you as a bookmaker if some of the biggest names in college basketball weren't participating in these conference tournaments coming up? You know what? I wouldn't like it, but I could certainly understand it. Uh, you know, you get all those teams together like that, and 
you know, you got, you're more susceptible to get that COVID right before the tournaments. I, it certainly were obviously set a million times uncharted water, so you couldn't blame them for thinking that. And if it happens, it happens. We'll deal with it, and, you know, we'll see what happens uh, if a San Francisco wins the West Coast without Gonzaga. Do they get the automatic bid? I guess they do. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's a strategy for the conference to get an extra team in there. I don't know, but – uh, either way, as long as they as long as they play as many games as possible in these times, that's all we can hope for. I mean, can you imagine that though, Nick? I mean, the precedence that this would be would be set here by for teams saying that because it's going to have a trickle down. Because when Gonzaga was talking about this last week, now all of a sudden BYU is saying, "Well, you know what? Maybe we'll do that as well too." And it's just it's crazy because you don't have no idea. I mean, you could get to the tournament. To the you know to the sixty eight teams and then all of a sudden boom you get hit as well too. I mean, there's no guarantee that we're not going to be affected by it. They think oh well okay we'll just you know we're going to wait until we get there. But it just sets a bad precedent all the way around that that I guarantee you we've seen it before with everything. It's just a domino effect. I I hope we don't see this. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. Uh, I, I I do not either. And. You know, I was worried about the Super Bowl if one team came up with a cluster, what they do, if they push it off a week or, or what. But, you know, you just don't know. All you can do is react and do the best you can. I have a feeling that teams will show up and play. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I, I had never heard that until you just mentioned it. Yeah. All right, give me a college basketball sleeper. One sleeper? One sleeper. The Nick B. Sleeper. I like I like Florida State. I think they can do it. Yeah, I mean, this team does look really strong right now. They're deep as well, too. And again, in the ACC, I mean, you know, Florida State, they were about ready to make a run last year, if you remember, until things got cut short. Yeah, no, I mean, they're like ranked 15th or 16th. Uh, you know, I don't know if I can go any deeper. I mean, yeah, good. I guess a, Louis, a Louisville, they're like 28 or 30. I guess that's, that's another team, I guess. I could see getting hot at the right time. But that's another team I really – I can't remember seeing them on the board in the last week or so. Have they been hit with COVID? I don't remember seeing I think they had a, yeah, a little stretch yeah. of COVID. Jeez. Well, and Drake and Loyola put you to sleep the other day, oh, so they could be God. sleepers. <laughs> but not only that, that game, that 51-50 overtime game, I was talking about yesterday, and then when you were talking about Marquette Butler, I was going to go there with that. Did you see that game? I mean, Marquette makes 16 threes in a row. 16 threes in a row in that game on Sunday. It was pathetic. Take the under. Yeah. Well, they're about to play again, so turn your TV on. Exactly. Marquette Butler, what's the over-under? 82 on that one? What is that, Nick? Uh, 129 and a half. Under. Book me right now. <laughs> Got to go to break so it's easy can get on his app. There you go. I'm going to play Pete Rose. There you go. Go, go window to window. All right, my man. We appreciate uh, you as always. Wow. We'll look forward to talking with you next week. Have a good one, guys. There he is, Nick Bogdanovich over at William Hill. So I'm assuming what you didn't give up for Lent is your in-game wagering. Nah. You know what? <laughs> I, really, I'm not that big of an in-game wagering guy. But I need to – you know what I, my problem is? I've talked about this before on the show, is that I get gun-shy. You know, because I got, okay, if I got action on that, and then it's like, okay, oh, should I wait? Maybe I'll get a better line the next possession. Because like he said, in basketball, it changes right, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. And, and you can be rather foolish in basketball because you could think, okay, well, this team just went on a 6-0 run. But, you know, someone's going to go on a 12-0 run in a heartbeat or a 14-2 run. Okay, especially so, co college basketball is a game of runs all over the place. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think it. that's dangerous. Yeah. You know, football – 
maybe a little bit more in-game wagering, but basketball kind of scares me a little bit. I just feel kind of happy and vindicated that tennis is the second biggest betting sport out there in the world. I know you love it, don't you? I think it's awesome. And now I'm going to start looking into the in-game or in-match wagering in tennis now. I'll I'll tell you what. I mean, if I would have had it last night and I would have done it, I mean, if I would have been thinking about something like that, there's no way Sitsipas wasn't going to win that fifth set because Nadal was completely gassed. And I'm sure Nadal was probably still a a favorite. I just want to hear you say Sitsipas four times real fast. Sits a pass, sits a pass, sits a pass, sits a pass. <laughs> He's pretty good, isn't he? Uh, he must be a professional. I've, I've known his name for a long, long time. Yeah. I just don't know if it's Stefanos or Stefanos because they pronounce his first name both different ways. Yeah. All right, we come back. Curtis Terry is going to join us. We'll talk some UNLV hoops, and we also dive into VGK's loss last night against the Avalanche. That and a whole lot more coming your way. T.C. Martin Show on a wild, woolly, crazy Wednesday.